For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica, so... If that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. All right. <laughs> All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health, episode number 102. I got Jacob Wedegrad with me. Did, is that the correct name to go by? Because I wasn't yeah. sure what to go with. <laughs> so, so the story here behind the confusion around my name uh-huh. is that I for originally for privacy reasons and because i think jacob daniel is more aesthetically pleasing Mm -hmm. that's what i chose to go by (sighs) but then when my uh, wife kind of started to get more involved she would get frustrated that people wouldn't know that we were married because i was going by jacob (laughs) daniel and she was going by our last name winograd Mm -hmm. so then i changed it to jacob daniel winograd uh on facebook but then on Twitter, I was still going by Jacob Daniel. And so this just caused like, and then my podcast is named Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy. And then I don't know why, but just like that plus libertarian autism created like this, like, I don't even know what my name is anymore. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It, Jacob, Daniel, Winograd, you know, Biblical Anarchy. I, I just <laughs> answered all of it right now. That's what, that's what uh, Toad from Tower Power said. You know, his name is Biblical Anarchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of throw a dart or, or as long as you got like jacob anarchy biblical something in there and yeah not. yeah you can over that way <laughs> um so you and i have a whole ton in common and i didn't really realize it until we were shooting the shit here in the pa convention um we're both from pennsylvania we're both mechanics is that a diet is that a diet dr pepper yep Oh my God! So look, there's another thing right there. Yeah, um, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're a guitar player as well, and yeah. uh, we're both libertarians. And we're both podcasters, so you, you could check a lot of terrible boxes off there. And I think probably a majority of people in society hate us because we fix cars. We're libertarians and we're podcasters. So um, I guess real quick, we'll start off with the uh, kind of basics. Um, what's your history with being a mechanic? Because I, you're about my age, right, or a little bit older. I'm 27. Um, yeah, I'll be 30 in two days. Oh, wow. Okay, well, happy uh, early birthday by uh, the yeah. time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Saturday I'll be in Erie. But yeah, um, so I, I'll i be 28 in November, and you're going to be 30. Yeah, I figured you were right around my age. So uh, yeah, what's your history with being a mechanic? So I'm like a third-generation mechanic in my oh, family. Oh, really? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm my, sorry my... to interrupt, but yeah, my, my dad, <laughs> his dad, and then his dad were mechanics as well. Yep. So my, my <laughs> grandfather was a airplane mechanic and then got into the auto industry. 
he was an airplane mechanic for the uh, for the Navy. He was stationed overseas, mm-hmm. and then came back and got into automotive. Um, and then my dad got into automotive, and then he was working at a Ford dealership and became a transmission specialist for Ford. But then he ventured out into the independent world and then started his own uh, uh, transmission shop. And then I kind of grew up in the family business, so to speak. Um, unfortunately, the business closed this past year due to my dad's health issues with COVID and just like the general, like we had already kind of been uh, rocked by the mandates and lockdowns and inflation, endless taxes. I mean, you know, it's it, it's tough, especially I think in the automotive world now to do a small business. You just get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I'm still doing automotive, still specialize in uh, in transmission repair. So, you know, I get all the, uh, you know, obligatory ribbing about, you know, you, oh, you like trannies, don't you? And, <laughs> and, and, and all that kind of good stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's just, you know, I, I made sure when I started at my new job, I was like, I'm just going to get ahead of it. So I just like walked into the parts department and I was like, listen, guys, I am up to my neck in trannies and I need help. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I've always loved fixing things. I was always like, you know, I loved puzzles and Rubik's cubes and, and, and things like that when I was a kid and uh, fixing cars and especially uh, specializing in transmission repair, uh, you know, it allows me to kind of, you know, uh, specialize in something that I'm good at and also that I kind of enjoy doing. Yeah, well, you know what I've definitely found in my history that uh, it definitely takes a special kind of person to tear apart transmissions. Um, I've always wanted to do it, but unfortunately, they never let me kind of tear into them when I was hourly. And I've been flat right now for about seven years. And I'm like, look, I'm not tearing apart all that shit on flat rate because if you fuck one thing up you're done and look i've done done plenty of engines and had no issues but like i look at a transmission and i know most of the shit in there and i've helped tranny guys tear them in and out but like when it comes to the clutches and everything i'm like man what if you just get one thing wrong you're you're done i mean like you might as well throw that whole fucking pay away the nice thing about the transmission compared to the engine (laughs) is that with the transmission 99% 99% of the operation can be tested on the bench. Whereas with an engine, there's right. not much you can do without a dyno to test it on the bench other than like, you know, does my crank move freely and my valves move freely? Oh, that's not even a guaranteed thing. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna say the first time I first time I built an engine, uh, the uh, I got it all together and then like I went to go turn the crank and it moved about half a turn and then stopped, so. Yeah, that was one of like, okay, not an engine guy. Got it. <laughs> stick with what I stick with what I'm good at. Um, but with transmissions, like uh, because they're kind of like uh, electronic and hydraulic controlled. If you mm-hmm. are good with hydraulics, if you can use the compressed air and and uh, and you have like the proper electronic equipment, you can cycle solenoids and cycle the mm-hmm. clutches and stuff on the bench and stuff, and you can vacuum test valve bodies. So I'm very meticulous. So uh, my production is probably slower than other transmission mm-hmm. mechanics, but my comeback rate, and like it sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm really not, um, is pretty much 0%, but that's because I'm meticulous. So like sometimes I do make mistakes, but I catch my mistakes before I install it in the vehicle. Because like uh, you know, I'll go to AirTag like, hmm, nope, this isn't applying right. Let me go back in. Oh, I didn't do this right. So it's not that I'm perfect. It's just I catch my mistakes before right. you know, install it and ship it down the road. 
Well, you know, so what would you make more money doing? Would you make more money just hammering it out and then jamming it in? Or would you make more money doing it again? That's that's kind of my whole thing with it. And I'm not a fast engine tech. And I'm not like an engine tech overall. But I do do a decent bit of engines. And my comeback rate on them is kind of same as yours, almost zero. I had one. I left one bolt loose on a valve cover, right? This motherfucker puked three quarts of oil in a couple hundred miles i couldn't believe how much oil it freaking leaked because um on the gmc acadias the enclaves and the traverses yeah. you have to drop the whole powertrain down to uh, do a set of timing chains on it oh yeah, so, yeah. Um, i have an acadia i know what you mean <laughs> oh okay yeah oh, i'm sorry to hear that look it, yeah it, i'm it, sorry you know in hindsight you know not the best choice <laughs> yeah so if i could recommend anything to anybody um get the v6 terrain because you get literally the same powertrain that does not have anywhere near the same issues and the entire car built around it is so much better so like uh my fiance she had a 2009 impala and i'm like this thing's like shit we need to get something else i'm like well the v6 terrains are like one of the best things gm ever built so um if you find one of those <laughs> we'll get that and uh funny enough we're actually taking our camper up to erie um with it and yeah when that versus in acadia it's it's night and day but i did a set of timing chains and i forgot to tighten one bolt on the uh driver on the i think it would be bank two so the outside bank like the bank if you're looking over the hood the one close to you i left the one bolt right underneath the power steering pump right underneath that bracket i left that bolt loose dude oil everywhere and i end up having to put a valve cover on it for free but that was the one time where i took an engine out of a car and i legitimately fucked it up and it came back but other than that i'm same way as you i will take my time on engines because i do not want to tear the shit back out yeah yeah i mean nowadays with all these newer vehicles you know if you're pulling engines or transmissions uh it's not like the old days where you could like you know i used to when i got into this even when i was inexperienced you could Mm -hmm. pull an engine or a transmission and install it in an afternoon now it's like sometimes some of these engine or transmission jobs you can spend a day just on like removal or installation Mm -hmm. i mean there's just there's so much you know secondary and and auxiliary auxiliary systems attached and they're made more compact and there's less room to get to things and uh, engineers are you know satanic and sent from hell to torture mechanics um you know anytime i meet a friend that says they're an engineer like you're my sworn enemy because engineers have this like godlike complex that they they just never think (laughs) what if this breaks how are people going to fix this if if this ever breaks and they don't think about that they don't think about how sadistic it is if you put a bolt in down this way in the assembly line and then when you need to go pull uh pull that part off how the bolt is head is here and oh, yeah, the bolt head is here, and then like the, the the firewall is right here, and there's no room to get that bolt out. They yeah. don't care. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And GM is absolutely notorious for shit like that. Um, I, I remember in Acadia, I put a high pressure line on. Um, they had problems where the cage nuts would rust, and then they would break. So when you go to take the uh, bolt out to lower the subframe to get the line out the fucking cage that would break and then the bolt would just spin so we actually had to tear up the floor and this vehicle got a water leak too so you can imagine how bad this was gutted the floor pulled up a board and then had to weld a nut on there yeah you know how much that paid yeah i know you ever you ever have to do on the older chevys uh like the impalas or the the uh, the front wheel drives and you drop you go to drop the cradle and one of the subframe uh bolts just starts spinning 
Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's all out, was. cut yep. into the freaking floor, and <laughs> and I remember the first time that happened to me. I was like, oh, they make a repair kit for that, so you can cut a hole in the in the underneath the uh, driver's side carpet and then plug it up with this rubber seal. I was like. Mm. Yeah, maybe they should have come up with a better design instead of a repair kit. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. you know, it's it's like uh, I never personally had to do them, but I worked at a, a Ford dealership for a month, and I remember all the tech saying, "Yep, as soon as you hear the duck call, pulling the spark plugs out of the head, you know what you're doing." Oh, oh. <laughs> you see, I'm so glad that I, 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 we have enough transmission work. I don't have to do engine <laughs> stuff really because I hate Triton tuna. I mean, Triton oh, motors yeah. and spark. Oh my god, remember the first one? The, the and like the first time I ever did one. But we were like slow one time at my dad's old shop. Yeah. And so someone came in and, you know, like an engine misfire can feel a lot like a torque converter shutter. So like you, that's a common thing. People would come to our transmission shop thinking they had a transmission problem. And then we'd be like, oh, no, you have like, you know, P0, uh, 304, 305, 306, 307. Like you have a, you know, you have to have a crap ton of misfires and you need yeah. to tune up. And so like one time they were like, oh, can you do it? And you were like, yeah, we can do it. We're slow. Uh uh, front four spark plugs all came out fine. Back four, of course. Uh, all of them, all of them broke. And then uh, I forget. I think it's cylinder eight. I think that's the back left. Mm -hmm. uh, I might be wrong. It's been a while since I did one, but uh, that one. Not only did the spark plug tip break in the head, but the threads pulled out. Oh, which means that, like, because we bought the Lyle tool which is like the best tool for extracting this, yeah. but it relies on screwing into the spark plug threads. Mm. So I had a broken spark plug with pulled out threads and I was just like, well, and it was like the very back of the engine. I was like, okay, cool. There's no room to drill this thing. So we had to like lower the engine down just so I could oh. drill and extract that thing out. Cause then we, we tried this other kit that was complete junk. It was like when you're supposed to like, put a rod down in with an epoxy, hit the epoxy with like a black oh, light, yeah. supposed and then supposed to, yeah. to grab it and pull it out. That didn't work for shit. Um. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Sometimes you get these special tools and it's like, oh, well, this looks like it's going to work. And it just, oh, my not gosh. at all. So my dad many... always called the, uh, the, like the hub pressing tools. I remember the first time we were doing pressing bearings on a Saturn and he pulled this tool out and there's all these like spacers and plates. He said, this is the asshole tool. I was like, oh, right. okay. And yeah, it's cause you're literally sitting there like an asshole trying to figure out how to get all these stupid plates set up just right. So you could press a bearing out of like a, you know, out of this ridiculously shaped knuckle. And I'm or like, it's like, it's like, or it's like the, the ball joint master kit that has like the million different adapters <laughs> yeah. and you still can never find the right one that'll actually fit. And then, like, now the industry's evolved to the point where it's just, like, um, you know, back at my, my dad's old shop, we had to do a ball joint. It, it just became more cost-effective to be like, screw it, we're just buying a control arm. Like, yeah. it's so much easier. And now a lot of the ones, the ball joints aren't even serviceable. You have to buy yeah. a control arm. Right. So I was like, that, that's fine. No complaints from me. We can, we can do it that way. Yeah, for a lot of the GMs, specifically actually the terrains um, is one of the first ones that come to mind. You can drill out. There's three rivets that hold in the ball joint. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I I will not do that. I've seen other people do it. They, it takes them like a morning, and you get paid like an hour and a half. It's like, well, why the fuck would you no, do that? Just buy, like, just buy a control arm. It's yeah. Just, it, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, this is – so, you know, I was working at a small independent before, mm -hmm. so although I knew what flat rate was, and we – we were, you know, told to keep track of our efficiency. 
we were expected to maintain at least like an 80, 85% efficiency. Mm -hmm. Um, If we drop before that, you know, we get reprimanded. Uh, If you got above that, you were, you had the chance to make bonuses and stuff, but we were, you know, hour hourly. Uh, So now I'm working at a dealership. So, you know, now I'm I mean, I had, you know, because it's my first time, they had me on a guarantee for a while, kind of like get the, get the ropes of it. Um, which thank God, because like the first two months were absolutely brutal. Uh, but yeah, now I'm in that flat rate life and, uh, you know, pros and cons, right? Like there (laughs) there are some weeks where you're like, oh man, this is awesome. You know, I love flat rate. And the next week you're like, "Ah, this, this is the fucking worst. Who invented this system? Yeah. (laughs) So how long have you been flat right now? Uh, A few months. Okay. I mean, I was was, like technically the whole time. Uh But and they were like keeping track of my hours and reporting them. But now Mm -hmm. I'm actually, you know, flat rate where, you know, sink or swim. Okay, so (laughs) we're going to have to keep up with each other because I'm curious if your wife will start to notice when, you know, the pay is kind of going bad because my fiance kind of notices it, too, because I start motherfucking. I'm like, man, I'm not making any fucking money. But then, (laughs) like you said, ups and downs where like some pays is like 120 hours i'm like man this is fucking awesome and then yeah. some pays it's like 70 years 60 hours i'm like okay i like hate everybody right now nothing will go right i can't get anything done shit like that but then it's just highs and lows dude highs yeah. and lows i mean i don't know how bad like i have no comparison right so like mm-hmm. right now one of my frustrations is that like sometimes i'm having weeks where my production is hindered because of parts because of like you know parts still being on back order yeah. taking longer to get here um and then you know and then even then it's like sometimes you get the part there and nope they ordered the wrong part <laughs> you know what i mean or the part came i i had a brand new not not a reman mm-hmm. uh, a brand new ford uh explorer transfer case show up in the ford box with the transfer case motor damaged Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, it's like, so already, you know, with warranty time, they only paid like 1.2 hours to replace the transfer case. Ooh. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, what about replacing this motor? And there's like, oh, we'll give you a tenth. I was like, oh, great. Wow. Thanks. Suck my dick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> have you ever been in the situation? I- I'm going to tell you this story. And I'll try to keep it brief, but uh, so we had a brand new Acadia, and I think Ford has all electric steering now as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So you guys have like the uh, electric mount or the electric motors mounted at the top of the steering gear? Um, yeah, yep. Okay, so I had a new Acadia, and they were bitching that their power steering was intermittently going out, and there was a code in it for the it said like VIN not learned or something like that to the power steering control module, and I'm like I don't think there's anything wrong with it. We program it, ship it, and then it came back, and they said the same issue happened. So um, there was only one specific gear that you could get, and it was the wrong one. Like this part number didn't match up. Or it was something like the motors were wrong, but they said, hey, we can get these ones, but they were wrong. And another parts guy I was working with at the time said, okay, well, we can get a gear and it'll be right, but we can't get the specific motor. So my parts manager comes over and says, all right, well, no, just order this motor because it's the only one we can get. So they made me take it out and I only had one rack at the time. So I remember I took everything apart and I took the motor apart and I looked at them and they were different and I knew this was going to happen. I only had one rack. I was so fucking jacked off. So I go back to my parts guy and he's this old, he's a boomer con, right? So I go back there and I'm holding the motor in one hand that he gave me and the one that i pulled out of the car i said this is the one you gave me this is the one i pulled out this is wrong and they all fucking lit me up like 
a week before we're gonna say let's just order a steering gear for it so we can just get it done because we can get that we know it's gonna be right and then finally i, I when i pulled it all apart like i said i was right this this is wrong and we ended up ordering a steering gear anyways never got an apology or anything like that but basically the store moral of the story is have you ever kind of been forced into ordering the wrong part or they put you in a position where you knew you were going to get fucked and then you never like got amended for it oh yeah i mean so so one time uh had a transmission apart and we needed a specific like there was a, a damaged uh ceiling ring on mm -hmm. the uh it's called the support i would call it a pump Ford has retarded names for things, um, which yeah, that's always fun. By the way, just like a little tangent, yeah. like the book never calls. Like it's like it's like I, I love when like the, it's all it's all Ford or it's all Chevy, right? Yeah. Why are the names not standardized? Anyway, pisses yeah. me off. Um, <laughs> I, I but, know exactly what you mean. Believe me. <laughs> um, so uh, we needed a seal for the support, mm -hmm. um, and this was after like we wanted to order a already built support, but they mm -hmm. were like back order no ETA. So sure. they were like, well, can we just order all the parts for a support, like a shell, and then all the components and put it together? And I was like, well, if they're available, like, yeah, I can do that. And there was, like, one seal that we needed. But the seal was uh, back order new ETA as well. But the seal could be acquired in a overhaul kit. But the mm -hmm. problem was that I was doing a repair under a TSB. And the TSB uh, only cover pays that. an X amount of time, won't cover an overhaul kit unless we switched to doing an overhaul. But the problem was then I'd be like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just fabricate my entire story and say we overhauled the transmission when it didn't need mm -hmm. need an overhaul? Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that was a shit show. And, like, the this is one of those times where, like, the, the TSB actually paid a decent time. But the problem was mm -hmm. I got screwed because it was, like, not only did I have to build a support from scratch, but then I was forced to overhaul a transmission that didn't need overhauled in the first place and to, like, come up with... And, like, I mean, I didn't lie. In the story, I said I overhauled the transmission because they, they gave me a rebuild kit and told me to overhaul the transmission. Mm -hmm. I was yeah, like, well... I was like, I'm not, I, don't know, I don't know what else you want me to do. I was like, I, I, can't, I can't say there was anything else broken except the support. Yeah, I, I think in situations like that, normally... Um, because I, I feel like I've been in a situation like that or other techs have. And the only thing they do is just have like the warranty administrator or the manager sign off on it and say, hey, we couldn't get parts. Customer enthusiasm or something like that. Like G people call GM Generous Motors because I swear to God, we give everything away for free. I can't tell you how many times there would be a customer who would, the black ice bag of weed kind of Cadillac comes in yeah. and, <laughs> and, and they've never bought anything there. Their car stinks of weed and then they're bitching about absolutely everything and we go ahead give them a free a thousand dollar alternator job and then the customer that buys every single service from there needs injectors in his brand new truck that just ran out of warranty well you tell him to get fucked and then he has to pay two thousand dollars to put injectors in his truck it, it's it's always baffled my mind to see some of the stuff that uh dealerships will bend over backwards for customers for it, it's never good customers either no and then I, the, the thing that pisses me off the most is when for an irate customer they'll like come in and like uh, change up the order of the, the the cars you were going to do, and so oh, like, oh, right. this one's the priority. It's like, okay, but like that doesn't that one doesn't make sense because we don't have parts here for that yet, and mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to pull on this lift versus that lift, and uh, this one's been here longer, and it's just like, yeah, well, this one wasn't here yelling at me, so you know, just you know, need to bring it in, and then it, and then everything gets you know 
screwed up. So yeah, it's fun. You know, I'm, I'm doing my best to adapt to it. You know, there's, uh, you know, like I said, there, there's ups and downs. I'm convinced that like it all averages out over the long run to kind of being the same as hourly, except with more bullshit, um, <laughs> which, which I'm not exactly okay with, but it's kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, kind of is what it is at the moment. I mean, yeah. um, the nice thing is that, uh, Ford makes a really bad transmission, so it keeps me busy. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess there is that. Um, do you have any stories from when you were a kid about, um, like, when you started working on cars? Because one thing I can distinctly remember is uh, it was, a like, a 100-degree humid-ass day, and it might have been an E1 or, like, an E250 or something like that, a big old G-Van with a dog box in it. And I remember being outside in my dad's parking lot when I was 17 years old. It was my first summer working on cars and pulling the box in this, like, shaggy, rugged van outside doing a tune-up in humid ass Pennsylvania weather. Do you got any kind of stories like that of, you know, first kind of busting your knuckles? Um, trying to think back. Cause I had been going to my dad's shop since I had been like 12, but he didn't let me work on cars for a while. He just made me clean up and stuff. Cause he wanted to see if I was like really serious about working there or not, or if I was just trying to goof off. Um, I think the first kind of major repair I did was like, uh, uh, like a, like a like a brake repair and an oil change. And I don't remember that much of, about it, other than like uh, like they showed me what to do and, and I did everything. And then I went with the, uh, a friend of mine after that to go to a race. Uh, and on my way there, they uh, they they you know a little bit of roasting and ribbing because that's what you do. They <laughs> called me and said, uh, "Jacob, did you uh, did you tighten up that oil drain plug?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, uh... I did." And they were like, uh, "No, you didn't, because uh, they drove it about five miles down the road, and all the oil came out of it. And now the engine, now the engine uh, locked up." And I was like, "What? No, I swear!" And, the, and they kept me going for like ten minutes, and then uh, hung up. And then uh, then he texted me, "This is like just kidding. Good job today." I was just like, "Fuck!" <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, I. I couldn't even imagine because when you first kind of start, you're kind of like so anxious and you don't want to do anything wrong. So yeah, you get that text and it's like, holy fuck, I think I just shit a brick. Um, so have you had any bad experiences with wrecking customer vehicles? Because I got a oh. I got a pretty good story, but I'm curious to yes. yours first. Yes. Um so you know how on like Dodge vehicles, uh like most of them, like the Jeeps and the trucks, um the dipstick says check transmission fluid idling in neutral. Oh yeah. 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 So I had a Jeep on, we had like a, like one of those, like, you know, uh, roll on lifts, like drive on lifts yeah. and, uh, uh, got back from a test drive and wanted to check the fluid. And I had kind of a, a little bit of a rush and this is probably like my second or third year working full time. Um, and I, you know, didn't, you know, the proper procedure should be to get out, chalk the wheels, put the e-brake on, then put it in neutral, then go check the fluid. Oh, nobody does that. <laughs> yeah, but nobody does that. Um, and okay, actually, to be honest, now I do that because of this. Mm -hmm. But because okay. um, <laughs> uh, I thought I had the shifter in neutral, mm -hmm. um, but I kind of pushed a stop because, you know, it's like an old like 99, like Jeep Wrangler. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the shift box, it's got a little bit of, you know, uh, a little slop in it. A little slop in it. So I had it more in like, you know, RN, not so much in an R. And like oh, as no. as my foot 
is like my left foot hits the ground and then suddenly I feel my right foot get pulled hard and I'm like what and the vehicle is just rolling out the 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 shop and we have a very short parking lot and it's going downhill I like ran after it I tried to kind of I jumped like halfway in and then realized like well there's nothing I can do and there was like two seconds before the car was going to be out in the middle of the road so I just I I, I just like self-preservation jumped out watched the car go out into the road get hit by another car that didn't know what was going on. Then like it came out that car hit the Jeep, <laughs> knocked the Jeep off into a neighbor's yard, ran into a tree. Holy yes. shit. Thank God <laughs> for insurance. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I, I don't know that my first experience wrecking vehicles was not anywhere near as exciting. So, um, I started working at Nick Chevrolet. Well, I probably shouldn't have said that publicly, but uh, it's a dealership in Trenum, right? So it's a small Chevy dealer, and this was 2013, and there was a brand new like fleet vehicle. It was a, a long bed truck, and then there was a, it was like a 2500 with an eight foot bed, and this dude took like a phenomenal care of this truck, right? There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. It was super low mileage. And uh, I was backing this fleet truck up and I'm looking and I'm not looking to the other side. And then all of a sudden I feel it jerk back. And then I get out and I look and I wrinkled in the fender of the brand new truck I was driving and I smashed into the rear quarter panel of this other truck. And I look up when I get out of the vehicle and I see half a dozen customers standing at the window and I go run in to get my boss, and the guy said, I stood up and said, he's going to hit my truck. And literally every single customer in the lounge was watching me as I did it. Yeah. So that was my uh, first experience with wrecking a vehicle. And, and like my boss at that time, thank God bless his soul, um, he, he just said, Kyle, you can't do that, man. He said, you just you piss people off. That's the problem. I said, well, it's not like I ruined their vehicle. He said, yeah, but to them, you did. And uh, I, I, he, if he would like berated me, I probably would have felt a little bit better. But he just, he was such a good dude that he didn't, you know, light me up like he probably should have. But I felt terrible about it. I felt so bad with mine, but like, luckily, everyone, I mean, they weren't happy, but no one got too upset. I mean, like, insurance paid for everything and stuff. Funnily enough, the people who, uh, not the Jeep customer, but the, the people on the road that hit the Jeep. Uh, so their car was totaled. They got a new car from the insurance company. <laughs> and a year later, that car had a transmission problem and they brought it to us. <laughs> and the customer was just like, uh, put, put, put wheel chocks behind that, please, for me. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So, so yeah, now you better you best believe, though, like, you know, even even when they're in park now, when I get out of them and they're running, I'm just like. Uh, e-brake I'm just like it's just like that's like PTSD it's like you never want that to to, to happen again um mm -hmm. so you know lesson lesson learned the, the the hard way I guess I haven't had any other wrecks in customers vehicles I've had close calls uh I had a uh, one time I, I was test driving a vehicle uh on our lovely PA roads you know that mm -hmm. are so nice and straight and flat um, well taken care of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I was going down around a bend, and it, there was some ice on the road, and there's a pothole. I go to avoid the pothole, but not realizing when I did that, I went into black ice, and oh. then and it was right as I was going downhill to go to like a right angle turn where there was like a little bit of like probably like a four or five foot drop 
and there's no guardrails. Mm. And I mean, Laura, I mean, like this is one of my like moments where I'm just like, you know, like, you know, I don't know if it quite counts as a miracle from God, but like, I, I, I don't know how I didn't go off the road, but the car literally like, like slid out of control and did like a 540 or something and like ended up on the same road on the other side of the road facing back towards the way I came. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, am, am I <laughs> <laughs> like a solid like so, minute afterwards? Am, am like, I still on earth? Yeah. <laughs> oh um, my God. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's, that's pretty funny. Um, the only bad experience I saw with somebody on the alignment rack, it was actually a Ford Explorer when I worked at that same shop and, uh, the one guy was pulling up on it, you know, a lot of people when they get up on alignment racks, they open up the door to make sure they're lined up correctly. Well, instead of hitting the brake when he was going up on the alignment rack, he hit the gas. <laughs> so I remember just hearing from boom, crash. And I look out there and I see this Ford Explorer up on two wheels and he hit the alignment <laughs> rack. That there's paper and oil everywhere. The alignment machine with the heads is like way turned over in the corner. I was like, wow. So um, funny enough. It only put a small nick in the frame. We lifted the vehicle up with a hydraulic jack and just put it in reverse and drove it back. You couldn't even tell he hit anything. I was thoroughly fucking wow. impressed. Um, I have seen a few trucks drop off of racks, not the whole way. Dude, but right not- before I right before I started um, my job, apparently we had a lift fail. We had a truck completely fall Ooh. off a lift. They showed me uh, pictures of it. It was pretty yeah. pretty brutal. Have you ever seen anybody on the alignment racks or the drive-on lifts where they go to back out and they cut the wheels too like soon and they like fall into the middle? <laughs> I, I I had one of my coworkers did that did that once and of course it was like this low sitting like 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 Honda that had been lowered and shit. So like there's like like you know, luckily it was like we couldn't get the floor tuck underneath of it, but luckily it was like okay, it's light enough. We just got everyone out in the shop and just like lifted it, scooted yeah. it back over. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, it's like uh, I remember. A, um, it's there were used Fiats that used to come through uh, the one shop I used to work at, and it was funny. Literally, you could get one person to lift up a wheel off the ground. So when you have smart vehicles like that, it's not too bad. But um, I've had to get like the entire shop behind a snake body truck that wouldn't start to push it in to work on it. Yeah, shit like that sucks. Oh, wait, you, uh, you know, you know the joke. What the uh, libertarian's least favorite car is. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, Fiat. Fiat. Yeah. <laughs> Should have got it. Should have yeah. got it. <laughs> oh, you know, they call those uh, fix it again, Tony. Yeah, I hate those fucking cars. They're such a pain in the ass to work on, too. Um, yeah. yeah. What's your dude. What's your least favorite, um, uh, other than maybe if it's Fiat, maybe go with your second least favorite. What's your least favorite make to work on? Uh to work on, I would say probably Saab because those are the ones I most frequently work on. I really hate working on Saabs, hmm. but when it comes to like vehicles overall, like just least favorite vehicles, probably Dodge. Gotcha. Yeah, Dodge is as far as domestic, it would be Dodge, and then if it was gonna it was gonna pick something outside of the three main domestic ones, uh, another one that I dread working on is is anything uh made by volvo because it's just like redundancy after redundancy of like and a lot of people are like oh they're so safe i was like they, like i think they just tout them as safe and they're just all these redundant like they i remember when i the first time i went to go pull a volvo transmission they have them they have like a motor mount that goes from the steering rack to the transmission 
It's like, why? Why? Like, it's not doing anything except just yeah. taking up space. Um, but yeah, no, Dodge is uh, Dodge is special. I, 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 you couldn't convince I, like Chevy and Ford. I could work at a Chevy dealership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't work at a Dodge dealership. You couldn't make me. Yeah, I, I'm thoroughly convinced that Chrysler's are safety hazards. I say that shit all the time, and they're they're friends of mine. And one of the things that convinced me of this when I was probably. 14 or 15 years old, a buddy of mine had a, a Sebring and we were going down the road and literally both ball joints popped. The axles came out and the uh, transmission dropped out of the vehicle. And from what Ooh. I found out later on is that that's actually a pretty common thing because what happens with the uh, upper ball joints and like the Stratuses, the Sebrings and all that is that they would get moisture in there and they'd freeze up. So you'd shake them and they'd feel tight. But they would actually be destroyed. And the other thing that would happen with those is that the, um, the strut towers and the bodies were aluminum and steel. So you'd be driving down the road and then the struts would blow right through the, uh, through the back of the uh, vehicle. Yeah. The Chrysler's are, uh, they, they have a special place in my heart. <laughs> One of the things I hate about Dodge and Chrysler coming from the transmission perspective is that they're fucking lazy. They literally have only ever designed one transmission mm-hmm. and they use the same transmission in everything. And it just comes in different sizes, and it's still always the same shitty design. And I, I'm not exaggerating. Like, uh, from the four speeds, even up to the six speeds, like, it's still the same transmission. They just keep on, like, it's like Frankenstein's monster. They just keep on, like, it, you know, like, oh, we'll make it a little better. And, like, nip, you know, little little tuck here, a little, little update here. But it's, like, it's it's literally the metaphor of, like, you can't polish a turd. I mean, like, it's or it, it's literally... Like it, it, and people don't believe me. And then, like, I'll take the transmissions apart and show them. I was like, "Look at this part in from this four speed, and look mm-hmm. at this part from this six speed." There's a ten year difference, and they're still using the same fucking parts. And they're in all the same transmissions. And people wonder why Dodge transmissions are fucking like the fucking worst. It's because they're 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 lazy, and they literally use the same thing in everything. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, but I knew. Chrysler trannies were junk and also obviously everything around them. Um, what is uh, Ford up to when it comes to transmissions? Because right now GM has 10 speeds. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the GM four speeds and even the six speeds weren't too bad, but like the eight speeds suck. They burned up torque converters the, a lot. The, the 4L60E can be mm-hmm. built to be one of the best transmissions like on the mm-hmm. market. Like, yeah. if, I mean, I mean, I guess like a 350 or 400 is kind of the standard sometimes people go right. to. But like, yeah. if you want that fourth speed, if you want the extra gas mileage to have a lockup converter and stuff, uh, 700 R4 to the 4060E, like to me, that's the gold standard. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's one of my biggest regrets uh, going to a Ford dealership is I don't get to see it anymore. Um, yeah, Ford's got 10 speeds out right now. They're they're absolute garbage. I mean, I, I've had them. <laughs> I've had them come in at 25,000 miles with every single clutch pack burnout. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and then they just released an eight speed for the front wheel drives, which is just as bad as the six speeds were, but just with even more components to fail. Did you do a lot of the, I think it was the focuses. Those were pretty big a couple years ago. Yeah. The, the yeah. The dual clutches. Yeah. The dual clutches and they're still just as bad. Um, you know, it's, they, they actually <laughs> didn't come up with that design. I forget who they took that from. Was it? Porsche or was it 
I forget. It's like they took a design from somebody else and like bastardized it, like using cheaper components and stuff, and not as good of a programming strategy. And okay. and it's, yeah, no, those were the they they had class action lawsuits uh, oh, wow. over over that thing. Yeah, um, and there. Although I don't know how this happened, but literally like a week ago, me and my coworker had one come in that was like a diamond in the rough. It was like a 2013 Ford Focus that had the original transmission and the original clutch and mm -hmm. the original seals. And they had a, an actual recall on those seals because they leaked really bad. Um, and it made it to 120,000 miles into 2022 before it became a problem. Wow. And I was like, how? Like, it's like literally like a, un a unicorn. I was like, this it's because, and you know, it's the original seals because the updated seals are brown and these were black, like the original OEM uh, from yeah. factory. And it's just like, how did it, how did it get, did it time travel? Is there a flux capacitor somewhere? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the one instructor I had in college, he was a goofy motherfucker, but the way that he explained it is that you're going to have one, you're going to have three different kinds of like the same vehicle. Um, you're going to have one that's like really bad, one that's just kind of like okay, and then one that's really good. And one like that's probably the really good one, and then a lot of them are probably, you know, either one or the other two. But I remember when I worked at Ford for a month, uh, I think the one guy's name was Jeff, and he used to do those – I think he would do maybe two a day sometimes because he got really good at them. But this was back in 2016. So, yeah, they were really in the uh, in the deep of it. Right now, GM's doing just like a lot of uh, transmission flushes because the eight speeds with the fluid, uh, there's excessive uh, torque converter clutch application. And it just burns up the fluid, so you do a flush on it. Although, I don't know if that's going to be like a permanent fix. It seems to work. But if you yeah, don't change newer... programming... Yeah, well, that's, so the programming is so. There's two problems with a lot of these modern transmissions, and actually, Chevy and Ford, uh, really since the six speeds come out, they've kind of had a lot of joint. Like the six speed was actually a joint venture between yeah. Ford and Chevy, and even since then, I've noticed that like the uh, I think I'd be curious to see if the ten speed is too. But I know with the six speeds, uh, the, the the issue is that uh, the torque converters are undersized and overutilized. Because for gas mileage purposes, they are having to make things smaller using lighter materials. Uh, so the torque converter is so compact that there's nowhere for the heat to go. It gets super hot, and the converter clutch is coming on as early as third gear mm -hmm. and being used constantly. And it's not even being used in an on-off fashion. It's being used in gradients, so it's slipping a lot. So it's generating a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll get you know, Fords and Chevys in at like 30, 40,000 miles where the transmission fluid's completely black yep. because of just how much heat that torque converter generates. And that causes premature failure. On top of that, the programming strategy, um, I think Chevy does a slightly better job at this than Ford does, but they both, they, they're both awful. And I think part of it is not even the, they just don't have good baseline programming because they want the transmission to like, have it to where people don't feel it shifting yeah but the issue is that means more slipping more components wearing out etc but my other complaint is making them learn adaptive because it turns out that's not a not a good strategy because a sometimes cars are driven in sporadic environments not necessarily the same environment all the time and you also can have multiple drivers and so the computer is right. trying to adapt to changing situations and then you, if you count in also random computer errors and computer bugs, 
the adapts will adapt the transmission to not shift better over time, but to shift worse over time. So at Ford, we're actually having on these like 10 speeds, especially we have to like every 10,000 miles under the powertrain warranty, almost these vehicles are coming in and we're having to reset the shift adapts because they've mm -hmm. adapted to a point where it's just slamming into gear all the time. Yeah. And then we reset it and it comes out 10,000 miles doing the same exact thing. Now the aftermarket, They've come up that they buy tuners and they come up with aftermarket shift strategies that they upload that aren't learned adaptive and they work perfect mm -hmm. and they don't have any issues. So it, it's so, yeah, that it's, it's a major problem that that Ford and Chevy, I think, are both suffering from. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the, the transmission. I, I don't like the like the Ford six speeds were perfectly fine. They shifted nice. They drove nice. And really, they didn't break all that much for the like the uh, four speeds in the early 2000s up until like 2000, probably like 12, 13 ish. As long as you kept fluting them, they were fine. But, you know, with early 2000s GMs, the trailblazers, the trucks, the Suburbans, you name it, they'll leak tranny fluid because the training lines were always jumping. At least they on. weren't. Yeah, they at least weren't breaking at low mileages, right? Like you, we saw a lot of four L60 E's at my, my dad's shop, but like they always had like 120, 140. You know what I mean? Now I'm like rebuilding transmissions at like 50,000 miles. And I'm just like, it, what, what happened? <laughs> what are uh, some of the engine failures that you guys are seeing? Because a couple of years ago, we were doing lots of pistons. The ring lands were breaking. And um, now it seems kind of like more catastrophic engine failure or bust. That seems to be pretty much it at this point for us. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of... Uh, um, like we'll see that sometimes where it's just like like random like who knows like defect or something from factory and then you'll have an engine come in with ten thousand miles that just like you know threw a fucking rod out the case or just locked up completely or something yeah. like that and you just uh, black box it you know take it down give it back <laughs> to the customer um yeah. uh other than that seems to be a lot of head problems oh okay uh, yeah i mean and then because i know this because um, I don't know if Chevy has an equivalent, but Ford, when you're doing a, doing it under warranty, they have a special prep wipe uh, that Motorcraft supplies that you're supposed to use to prep the uh, surfaces of the uh, engine block before yeah. you put the heads on. And oh my gosh, do like we use a shit ton of that, and they have to uh, one like small bottle of these wipes. It might be like here. It's probably as big as like a paper towel roll, which I have mm -hmm. like right here. Um, and it comes with like 400 wipes and one bottle of that, the parts department told me is like $200. Oh, yeah. Fuck. So they have to itemize per wipe per job. And our engine guys are back there constantly <laughs> getting those wipes. So that's yeah. how I know they're doing a lot of heads. <laughs> holy shit yeah that's interesting that you guys are doing heads the only time that gm ever really does heads um it's kind of a thing of the past now but like the equinoxes with the four cylinders they have these this ridiculous dual air pump setup and it is the biggest motherfucker and what happens is that the uh cylinder or the passages inside the cylinder head will get full of carbon and if you can't clean them out then you end up having to replace the cylinder head but that's really the only reason why we ever replace heads it was like i said just most like pistons like the encores some of the cruises some of the terrains the uh, lower ring land would break i actually had a terrain and this thing threw me for a loop forever it would run perfectly fine right no misfires but um it would blow a little bit of smoke and then finally it started blowing a shitload of smoke but it would run perfectly fine right like you would drive it drove perfectly normal 
tore it all down and yeah the lower oil controlling or the oil control ring ring land had broken so it would consume oil but it would dry perfectly fine yeah and weren't the uh like i've been told that the uh, uh what is it the i forget the name of the chevy coolant name but i've been told that it was yeah, I, I've been told that it was corrosive to the head gaskets. I don't know if they if they solved that problem or. or... As far as I can tell, over the recent okay. years, it's been better. Um, I think that was more of a problem in the early two thousands because I remember every single thirty eight hundred, thirty one hundred, thirty four hundred. As soon as you pull it in, there's just coolant everywhere. Every single one of those leaked. It was like an innate problem, and then they had this ridiculous setup where they literally ran a coolant elbow through the fucking belt tensioner. And it was plastic, a plastic elbow that goes through a fucking belt tensioner to hold coolant. Like, could, could you make a more ridiculous design? Aren't a lot of the belt tensioners now or plastic too, or or, or am I, or or the guides? I forget. I I, I remember uh, my one friend who uh, was telling me I was going to have to do timing chains on my Acadia soon, and he was telling me something was stupid about the tensioners on that. I can't remember. So that's what like the uh, timing chain guides. So when you pull off the timing cover, all those guides are pretty cheap plastic. Okay. The only yeah. thing you really have to worry about when it comes to doing timing chains on those is the actual cam phasers themselves go bad. So they won't lock and it'll throw like a P0010 or P0011. Oh, and yeah. uh, that's because that cam phaser can no longer actuate to adjust the timing. That reminds me, that's another major thing Ford has. Like every uh, F-150 coming in right now has like a TSB for the for a cam phaser rattle that, that the there's a repair the, for. Uh, turbos? Yeah. Yep. So okay. it's... Yeah, that's a that's a common thing I know that we do we do a lot of. So, do you guys do those uh, little solenoids that go down into, or, or are they different for Ford? I d I don't know as much about the engine side. I just know what other people are doing. Like I literally do pretty much just transmission. But oh, wow. I I see what comes up on the TSB stuff, and I see what <laughs> our guys are constantly buying back in the in the parts department and stuff. So I, but uh, but yeah, I mean engines have just gotten like from the outside looking in, it just seems like engines have gotten way more complicated than they used to be like every like now we have all these different cam sensors i remember it was just like one crankshaft sensor one <laughs> camshaft sensor now it's like wait now there's four camshaft sensors and there's camshaft actuators and there's like wait, what what's going on i don't understand this yeah well and i'm more of an electrical guy and not like the best electrical dude in the world but that's kind of like it, it it speaks to me a little bit easier so I had one truck with a injector driver that was bad and the way a brand new truck. So on the newer GM trucks, if you pull out the fender liner on the driver front side, um, there's the ECM right there. And I think there's three connectors that go to it. So yeah, I just owned out all the wires to each injector and found that they were all about the same resistance. So I'm like, okay, well, that has to be a bad injector driver because this truck it would only misfire in a specific few cylinders, but it, with these new GM trucks, they're so stupid. They have these wiring harnesses that are like that freaking thick with so many wires running through them, and they're having constant issues with just wiring stuff. I had a diesel that had to run new wires from. It was an oil temperature sensor, so I it ran like, if you know anything about diesels, they're nothing is easy to get to. And I don't work on diesels. I hate diesels. So I end up running it a different way. But yeah, just the way that they run the wires in these new trucks is just ridiculous. Is it similar for Ford? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember <laughs> I, I had to drop an exhaust uh today and they ran a wire harness in this weird way that wrapped around the exhaust. And because it's wrapping around and near the exhaust, like it's not like loose sheathing. It's like this wire harness that's like like wrapped in like this really thick like caged plastic yeah. and then wrapped in the, that like stupid like heat resistance like silver shit like the yeah. and and then it, it yeah and it's just like in the way and it's like you can't there's nowhere to unplug it or move it so it's just sitting there in the way and then of course now newer vehicles like there's heat shields everywhere plastic covers everywhere so it, it's just yeah it's a it's a pain in the butt yeah yeah dude the, the automotive field is a uh it's a motherfucker. changing. Do you do you think uh, uh, like a lot of people tell me, and like I I don't I don't think it's true or likely to be true, but they're telling me like, oh, you got to get super heavy into electric vehicles because in like ten years, like that's all everything's going to be. And I just think of like all the different kind of vehicles I work on for the different types of customers. I'm just like, you tell me like all the fleets we do work for who are you know driving these transits and these you know huge trucks. Uh, and then all these, 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 just everybody is going to be driving an electric car. Like it just, I don't know. To me, it seems unimaginable. I'm not saying that we won't see an increase in their market share, but to imagine that like, you know, gasoline and diesel engines are going to be completely obsolete. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't really ring true to me. So I personally do not think it's scalable and feasible at least not at this point um i actually did a whole podcast i want to say it was episode number 67 i did it was called green energy and efficiency and i broke i literally went through a research paper that kind of covered a lot of the stuff surrounding green energy and um, specifically nickel metal hydride batteries which are the main batteries that they use in a lot of the hybrid vehicles so um right now Hybrids make up anywhere from, I've seen estimates as low as 1% to 5% of the market. And 5% would be like the very best. So I don't in my heart of hearts believe in GM has like the most electric vehicles out of just about any manufacturer. I know Ford has a decent bit too, but um, like day to day, honestly, when I see electric vehicles, they're really good. They're very reliable. I almost never see them broken, but I almost never see them. Right. Like nobody owns these things. Right. Nobody wants to own them. And like the ELR, the Cadillac electric vehicle, it's fucking awesome. It's a nice car. It rides nice. It's quiet. The Volt, same deal. All of the hybrids are very nice vehicles, but just nobody gives a fuck about them. So, I, I mean, I don't know how you plan to increase 5% to 90 or 95%. You're going to, I don't Especially see. Because like so many people still commute for work and i think a lot of people have anxiety about like you know finding a place to charge up you know right. and it's just that yeah we don't have the kind of infrastructure i think in place to 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 do that and i mean maybe the government's going to start trying to push that kind of crap down on people to build more infrastructure i don't know um but it just just seems to me to be yeah i agree i i don't i don't think it's feasible but uh some fellow libertarians try to try to convince me otherwise you tell me you got to get on the ground floor on doing electric stuff and i'm just like and they're like you're not going to be rebuilding transmissions in 10 years it's like i i uh, highly highly skeptical of that highly skeptical of that. yeah i mean i feel i was hearing this like five even almost 10 years ago that everything was gonna be electric and here we are 10 years later and there's definitely more electric but like 
you're still working on mostly gas stuff. The hybrids that come in, it, it's so few and far between. Honestly, I've been at this job I've been at now for about a year, and I honestly do not think I've worked on a single hybrid yet. And the last place I was at, I was at for five and a half years, I, a handful of hybrids. The only thing that ever went bad, and these were hybrids, right? So they weren't like fully electric vehicles. The fully electric vehicles, I'm going to be honest, I never saw them broke. Never in five and a half years did I ever see them break. But I mean, we only saw maybe three or four of them in the entire time that I was there. Like you'd see them for oil changes or maintenance, but other than that, nothing else really. Um, for the hybrid Malibus, they have a 2.5. They have a belt tensioner that goes bad. It's like a high pressure tensioner or something like that that people would replace. Yeah. That was really the only thing that I ever saw go bad on. Yeah, I know the Ford hybrids have the CVT and they, they have bearings that go bad and uh, and stuff like that. But that's about the most I see on them. Not not very often. Um, yeah. And but, but I also like, don't, you yeah. You don't see them that much either? No, there's not, you know, even across the shop, I don't notice that many hybrids, uh, hybrids coming in. So it's, you know, I don't know if that, but I don't know, you know it might be different here in PA than in other parts of the country. Yeah. So, I mean, I drive about, about 40 minutes for work every day, about 25 miles. Same. Okay. So yeah, that, for us, it's just, uh, my old boss at, uh, that Chevy dealer I used to work for, he had a Volt and I mean, he lived like five miles away from work and I think he literally went like two years without putting gas in it. So for someone like that, okay, cool. But like I said, I just don't see this being a big thing. Everyone's talking about it, making a bunch of hubbub about it. But I, I think I look at it almost like I look at vaccine mandates. You're really going to have to convince a lot of people and you're really going to have to beat people up about it to get people to massively adopt it. And I just don't think there's the will politically or culturally or societally to get people to go along with driving hybrid vehicles. I, I, I don't see it. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted, I, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about quick here at the end, uh, if you don't mind me asking, no, like, no. like, um, you know, we're both in the Libertarian Party, both both in the Mises Caucus, um, and you know there's a bit of a cultural battle that that is continuing to go on, even though that that takeover is done. Um, and I, I notice a lot of people, uh, I think that that criticize us, act like the majority of America is more like them in terms of like this weird, like you know, like culturally progressive, like coastally cosmopolitan mindset. <laughs> And they think that's what appeals to people. And like, I, I don't know, like 10 plus years in the automotive industry and, and also just like knowing other people in different trades and stuff, like, you know, this kind of like blue collar stuff. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is the majority of Americans and even the ones I know who are a bit more moderate in their politics and not maybe Republicans, like they're way closer to like the sort of culture that like, I think that we kind of commonly promote than this weird, you know, woke kind of beltway stuff that that the other people promote and i, mean, I don't know I, I, I don't, don't know i don't know that's your experience too and it's like even even when i like disagree with my coworkers from politics and stuff it's like it, it's like we'll have a conversation and i realize like like we share so much in common and really it's just like they're operating off of like bad information they were given in like propaganda indoctrination camps that we all were subjugated to and like, like, I feel super confident that like over time these people can be won over if they're just kind of like 
you know, these ideas are explained to them. Whereas like, I don't feel that way when I'm talking to like people who were in these, you know, uh, I, I don't know the different circles we're talking about. I mean, what do you, what do you think? So I work with mostly boomer cons and it's been that way for pretty much the entire time I've been in the automotive industry. And I, I mostly kind of see where you're coming from and mostly agree. Um, most of them, you know, when it comes to core values, we're pretty much neck and neck. Um, and they kind of operate off of bad information when it comes to most of the political right today. And uh, I know you keep up with Reed probably just as much as I do, but him and I talk about this quite a bit where um, they have like this idea of Trump and the MAGA right. And it's like culturally we're very, very similar, but like they have this wild projection onto Trump that he was much more than he was and that their political side hasn't really facilitated any of the bad stuff that we're seeing today. But the, the good thing is, is that because we have these core values in common, that it's a lot easier to bridge that gap and for us to kind of make inroads there. Yeah. And even with the ones that aren't like the, the boomer cons or the Trump supporters, like I know a guy at my work who's actually, um, he said he is a registered Democrat, but he, he doesn't really like he doesn't have that kind of cultural like he, he doesn't really like joe biden or any of the the modern democratic party yeah. like he's not somebody who's sitting there going like here are my pronouns and let's talk about like you know it's, i mean it's like I, I don't even think it's just a, a right left thing i think it's like because i i i kind of came more from the left but i came from like a more blue collar left uh mm -hmm. kind of background you know what i mean yeah, because I, I feel like sometimes it's like people, it, it, to me, it's not a right-left thing. It's just like there's like the actual middle-class working mm -hmm. America and then this like tiny hyper uh, elite who are then weaponizing another minority in like these, uh, okay. yeah. the, the LGBT community and all oh. that and, 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 and ethnic minorities and pushing, you know, that kind of stuff. But that, that's not how I view you know, at least the vast majority of like my interactions with working class America, like they don't, even if they don't agree with me, like even if they're more left leaning in their economics and stuff, like they don't care about that shit. Like mm -hmm. they, it's just, it, it completely misses them. Well, so this is kind of where I take beef with people who do this circle jerk of, oh, I'm so right wing and everything that's left wing is bad because a lot of like the left leaning people I know personally aren't for the woke stuff, right? They yeah. just, we disagree on functions of government. And like, when you get down to brass tacks, yeah, you could say, oh, they want me dead because they would put me in a prison to steal my money, to give my money to them. Okay, whatever, yes. If we're in Ancapistan, yes, There's we can have that There's a connection though in their mind. Like to, to right. them, they don't view it. They don't, they don't like, yes, that is what happens. But to them, it's like th there's a big disconnect in terms of like sure. they, they don't see that that's what their actions are promoting or creating. Right. And if you go up to somebody and like try to address it that way, I can guarantee you they will never want to have another political conversation with you again. Right. Because I like how you brought up that you had a left-leaning coworker and – I did too at the last place I was at. And I still talk to this dude all the time and he's not down with the woke stuff. We're into like the same music. We shoot the shit about stuff. And if I talk to him about war stuff, we're, you know, bang on. He feels the exact same way I do. And then if we talk about big banks and stuff like that, same deal, feels the same exact way. Um,
now it's been going on middle east and you'll find out they're really not anti-war it's just because trump said some good stuff about you know being over there that they agree with him because it was their guy that said it but if he was pro-war kind of like how they're shaping up to be pro-war with china I guarantee you they're going to be strapping their boots on to go fight China if that comes to be in the next coming oh, yeah. in the next few yeah. years. Yeah. I agree. See like see like I view the the left like like the the normal left not the weird like Wokertarian uh, yeah. types but like the actual um moderate left uh in America like yeah they are more anti-war and I think they're also fundamentally more anti-authoritarian than conservatives are. But but conservatives sometimes like I feel a little bit closer to in terms of just like cultural values and yes. they're at least like on on certain issues like guns and taxes and economics we're a little bit closer. Um, it, I, I believe me, I hate that cliche. We're neither left nor right. I think it's kind of dumb. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like I've I don't really know how to identify, and I I feel like that's kind of dumb. Like I came from the left, but I was never into that woke stuff. And when the left went hard that way disenfranchised me that's how i found libertarianism um now i'm surrounded by a bunch of right-wing people mostly and i i want to you know message them and, and appeal to them but like it's to me it's not even left versus right it's just like it's it's just like uh the working class it's like the the regular people versus uh like the elites in the state and libertarians who want to take like they're like oh we like the elites we just want to make the elites libertarian or something like i don't i don't even understand that but i don't know i just like i think especially because like being in the automotive industry like i mean you you're around people who are like you know zero bullshit no nonsense a little bit rough around the edges you hear all sorts of like yeah people that have like these such weak stomachs for jokes or mm -hmm. or like shit posting and stuff oh, like they would never last yeah, and they're like, oh, "This is how you, you think you're going to appeal to a, to to voters and stuff with this stuff? They're going to be so offended and so outraged." I'm like, "No, actually, like, I'm pretty sure that like if I showed like 90% of my coworkers like like my Twitter feeds and stuff, they'd be like, "Oh wow, this shit's fucking funny." You know what I mean? Like, we're like the second my second day at work at my new job. Like I heard like a couple of like um, a few of my coworkers in a corner, and like one of them was was uh, black, and a few of them were white, and then like the they were like throwing the n word around casually with each other, like even to a point where like it, it took me, I was a little bit like whoa, like what what the fuck's going on? But I was just like, I, I don't know. It's just it, it, to me, it's just like there there's such a like tone deaf look at the american people and culture but through some of these people and, and i don't know my experience is that people are actually a lot closer to us you know whether they're left or right um mm -hmm. in terms of like not giving a shit about a lot of this stuff than than our, our opposition thinks yeah yeah i completely agree and i i want to bounce this off you and then we can wrap um I feel like a lot of the people who have this new fascination with being right wing, I feel like they spent their entire lives around mostly left leaning people. And for me, I don't want to say I found a fascination with left because I haven't, but I'm more open to more left leaning people because I've spent my life entirely around right leaning people, right? I mean, I've literally grown up in southwestern Pennsylvania. I, I go drive five minutes that way there's a cow farm i go walking two blocks over there's trump flags everywhere um i grew up in a little two block town right it's very yeah. very small townish right so i mean i've literally 
my dad cuts pumpkins with a fucking sawzall, right? I mean, my dad is the redneck of fucking rednecks. He he drives a snowplow truck in the winter, owns a shop. Believe me, I know right wingers very Pencil- well. Pennsylvania is Alabama with California and New York on the left and right, basically. Is the way I like yeah. to tell people. <laughs> yeah. But um, do you do you kind of think that like basically just people who found this new fascination with the right, they just spent too much time around left leaning people, and then, um, you know, it's kind of the same deal with people who maybe you know more our persuasion, like they just kind of see like it's kind of the way that we do, like it's just more so the working class people against the elites. Like we're we're all how am I trying to word this here? We all kind of agree and we can get along a lot better than people think. And I think a lot of these, especially the post-libertarian types who I like a lot, I think they just, they haven't lived around enough different kind of people. And look, dude, I'm a yeah. musician. Of music. I'm around every type of person you could imagine. Oh, yeah. When I was big into the music industry, I mean, tons of left-leaning people, like tons. Yeah. I mean, so I, I've been on both sides of this and and um yeah and at the same time though like back before political tensions got this high like i remember like my dad who's like an ultra conservative got along with my music instructor who was like a borderline commie and like (laughs) and like we're friends on facebook and would get along but then like in the past two years and suddenly everyone hates each other um so it's but it's uh yeah i i tend to think that the post-libertarian crowd um i and they're they're a mixed bag, right? So as a Christian, I tend to agree with a lot of their critiques of secular culture and on the value of Christianity in terms of like, you know, and or to put it this way, I agree with them in terms of the shortcomings of making libertarianism and thin libertarianism uh, your religion and like acting like that's all you need to have a functioning society. And I agree with them that although, um, I am, in a sense, like a thin libertarian. That doesn't mean that, like, that's all I am. And I would never think that, like, oh, well, once everyone's libertarian, like, that's all you need to have a functioning society. I do think that you need more than that. At the same time, though, I don't think that necessarily means that um, we can, that, like, they, they take that and go, okay, so now that means we need to make everyone Christian. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least make them like hardcore right wingers. And I'm like, well, that's but <laughs> that's not going to happen. Be- I mean, a from a psychological level uh, perspective, like the human brain and and the way that genetics play a role into like people's temperaments and whether they're going to be more left or right leaning. Like, y- there's no way to predict or control that like i mean it's just you know you're gonna have even if like you had like your hoppian covenant community which i'm fine with whatever um and and you like banned all the degenerate degenerate crap uh and like you know enshrined all these right-wing values uh, that that will last a generation and then all those people have kids half those kids are like you know more temperamentally left-wing hate what their parents have enshrined in their community and when they're 18 they leave and they go and you know like it, it doesn't last right wow. so it's it's like there you know libertarianism isn't enough to build society upon but neither is like thick christianity to act like we're going to make the entire world christian or the yeah. entire world right wing um you know the, the the truth is is that um i think that the value that we uh, we need to actually have a functioning society that b- beyond libertarianism is, is not so much that we need to make everyone Christian or, 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 or not Christian, but, but, but more so we have to 
value uh, a sort of like 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 localism. I think is, and that's something that they agree with too. I think to a certain extent, um, but but rather like th there needs to be an emphasis on, uh, but and, and I think localism creates diversity, and I think that's the like, the disagreement is like I think they think localism is going to create uniformity. Like, no, it's not. Localism is going to necessarily create diversity. And in a way, like, we should co-op the left uh, talking point here. Like, diversity is our strength. The free market is very diverse and creates uh, a, a diverse set of different communities and different businesses. And, and this is what makes the free market so amazing. And, and, and if you have free trade between these communities, it promotes peace and social cooperation. And, and so, uh, you know, listen, I, I think there are some cultural values that need to be in place of course and you know I, I think the opposition to like the woke stuff i think the woke stuff is especially pervasive i don't know if that's compatible with libertarianism but uh beyond that yeah i think the fascination other than that i think the fascination is just it's not new it's reactionary you know what i mean it's just, everyone can fall into that based on their backgrounds or or, or or whatever you know i know i can fall into that sometimes if i'm not careful um sure. because you know melissa there's some stuff i will say at least right now um if i'm going to give the post libs any more credit uh i do think even the worst of the right are more often than not misguided more so than they are evil yeah but the worst of the left kind of sometimes feels like it's more of the flip of that where like the worst of the left i kind of sometimes feel like they're more evil than they are misguided well that doesn't mean that the left is a monolith where they're all evil or the right is a monolith where they're just all misguided like no there are some some actual evil people on the right and there's actually a lot of people on the left who are just i think like we were talking about just a little bit before this who are actually like they're they're not hyper left they're more just moderate left and and they actually are good people who aren't evil and they might just be misguided or just be temperamentally or culturally different and i think i think we have to we have to allow that yeah, and that's why I get so frustrated when people want to like draw this fine line between right and left when they say I'm a right winger and I hate leftists. It's like, well, you're just cutting it so dry and I feel like you're making enemies unnecessarily very, very arbitrarily because you could find a left winger that you would probably get along with. And they may consider themselves a left winger, but when you just say, oh, I hate leftists for saying I hate leftists, then it's like, uh, well, what, what did you add to the conversation and what good is that going to bring about? And I understand, oh, we have to punish our enemies, but, you know, at what point do we say we don't have to ramp up tensions anymore? At what point can we say we need to kind of calm things down and extend all of branches where we can, right? Caveat being where we can. There's some people you will not be able to work with, yeah. But I think if you just say, I hate leftists and I'm not going to work with leftists, then – and the other kind of funny thing, and I'll pick on post-libertarians a little bit too, is that they'll say, oh, neocons are right-wing – or neocons are left-wing. <laughs> okay, so Ron DeSantis is a left-winger then, all right? It, it, you really it, want to play this game. It, it's always the no true Scotsman thing. It's just like it, – it, 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 there's really not much of a difference between the right-wingers who say – Oh well, all these bad right wingers are not actually right wingers; they're actually left wingers. 
and mm-hmm. that, that that to me is just as cringe as the socialists or communists saying, "Well, real socialism and communism hasn't been tried yet." It's just right. like, you know, if you're going to cherry pick all the bad stuff and just define your thing as like, you know, the hypothetical uh, utopia that hasn't been ushered in yet, then just I I, I don't know what you to can, tell you. And I, I, I no, and to me, right and left are more temperamental things than they are belief systems right not that there aren't maybe some belief systems that are more compatible with left or right temperaments but but it's not rigid right like i'm very left wing in or left oriented in my temperament i'm high in openness i'm high in creativity um i'm low in orderliness like you know what i mean like i I, the only thing that i might have that's kind of right wing is maybe being slightly high in conscientiousness but uh, but most of most of my like when I take you know psychological profiles like I have all the makings of a typical left winger, but at the same time uh, this might have something to do with my religious views. But I'm you know I would say at this point in my life I lean more socially and culturally right than I do left. But I'm not like I'm not an ideologue of either. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not even an ideological libertarian. Like, I mean, I believe in libertarianism, but I'm not like, I don't make any of these things my religion. I don't know if maybe that's the strength of being a Christian is that like my religion is Christianity. So none of these other things become my religion. And sometimes I feel like the problem with some of the post-libs, especially the Christian ones, is so, well, so, so some of them aren't Christian and I think they make right-wing or right-wingism their religion. And then the Christian ones sometimes... Uh, make Christianity and right-wingism the same thing, and so they're still making right-wingism their religion. And I was like, no, listen, there's there's things about, you know, right-wing temperaments and right-wing beliefs that are I think are valid and true, but, like, anytime you become ideologically possessed, then I think you're, you're not actually engaging in truth and reality. You're just, like, acting out a, a set of presuppositions, and that's right. not the right way to go through the world. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's kind of what I notice. And even with people in our camp is that when you become ideologically possessed, and I love that phrase, because it's really what it is. People literally get possessed by these ideas. And you can see when you talk to some people, that they're just stuck in that. And oh, yeah. It's, it's well, some literally- of yeah, because like some of our camp will get super triggered by the post libertarians. And like, I don't get triggered by, it. I don't agree with them all. And sometimes I'll call them out if I think they're going too far or acting in bad faith. But for them, like, I've had them on my show. I've had good conversations with like Andrew from Popular Liberty. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I've had some, I, I've had some, you know, uh, friendly back and forth uh, with, with Matt Erickson when, you know, he, uh, it's been a little bit call outy, but also it's kind of been in it's sort of like you know taking jabs at each other from across the 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 aisle, but kind of in kind of in good faith. Um, but but it's like I don't get triggered by them, and I also don't get like super I don't know like autistic about like libertarian stuff because it's like that's not my identity. And I do think yeah. like if we're if we're going to learn anything from the post libs and from like I know like Mark Claire has been saying uh, stuff too Mark, in his Mark. vein. Um, get dark mark and like I, it's true like don't make libertarianism your identity yeah. don't make it don't don't be an I, like an ideologue of mm-hmm. of like that's all you do and think is just like because like 
I mean, first of all, that's just super boring. Like, mm. you're, you, at that point, you're just like the cringe vegans who are just like, you know, hi, have I introduced <laughs> you to our Lord and Savior veganism? Like, I might as right. well just substitute be like, have I introduced you to our Lord and Savior, Murray Rothbard? It's just like that. I mean, listen, I'm all for activism and libertarianism and stuff, but like, y y you got to have something more than just that. And you also have to be able to, th to have free thought and free expression because like, you know what? No one in libertarian philosophy has gotten everything right. Murray Rothbard got stuff wrong. Stuff wrong. Mises got some stuff wrong. Hoppe got some stuff wrong. Um, Michael Heiss has gotten some stuff wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, like you know, Tom Woods has got some stuff wrong. Dave Smith. Wait, Dave Smith does everything perfect. He's the only exception. <laughs> um, no, but like you know what I mean. But it's just like you know, we have to be able to think clearly and not be possessed by these beliefs. We have to be. If we're going to be possessed by anything, we should be possessed by the the, the pursuit of truth. And, you know, I think a pursuit of liberty, liberty is okay to be possessed by, but, um, uh, but, but you gotta, you gotta not be possessed by like, in an, uh, by any of these things, whether it's right-wingism, whether it's wokeism or, or libertarianism, you, you, you have to be deeper than that. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've hoped to portray through the show and through at least who I am on camera and off camera is that. Look, this is in liberty and health because I really want to stress the health part. And I don't just talk about those two subjects either. I mean, I'm so much more than just a libertarian. And to make that your whole identity, that's lame. And not only that, you're not going to convince anybody if you're just a libertarian, right? So this is why yeah. I push people to be better people, right? Or we'll give people the tools. Um I'm going to lay out all the information for you to get jacked and tanned <laughs> to the best of my ability or teach you about cars or whatever. And then it's on you to then make yourself a better person because in order for us to convince more people of our ideas, we should be more influential and more impressive people. And yeah, we're not going absolutely. to do that if we're just a one-dimensional being who's just a libertarian and that's it. Why does Dave Smith convince so many people? Because he's a comedian, right? He's right. very, very convincing. He's a charismatic speaker and he's a libertarian. So therefore, you kind of got a decent package there, and it's someone that's you know a great firebrand for liberty. I'm you know an exercise enthusiast, mechanic, um, podcaster, musician, and then I'm a libertarian, right? You're a religious person, you're a mechanic as well, you're a podcaster, and you're a libertarian. So I don't like this idea of just being a libertarian, right? Because what you can have a community around libertarianism, but that's like a fleeting goal because politics is such a hard stone to move. Why don't we form community around other things and have libertarianism included? That's kind of my idea. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Or, or it, it can be tangential uh, stuff to libertarianism, too, like farming or, yeah. uh, you know, like like uh, black, like, like like agorism, like gray, black market stuff. Like, uh, you know, the, the, there can be some crossover there. But, yeah, I, I agree. Like, you have to you got to be multidimensional. And, uh, and, and, and I think that's, you know, part of liberty and health, like, you know, part of being healthy is not being one dimensional is not being, um, you know, singular in, in your identity or in your goals. You need to, you need to have, you need to have tiers and, 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 and mixture. And, you know, it's kind of like when you're working out or when you're eating, like you can't just eat one thing and be healthy. You can't just go to the gym and do the same workout routine every day and expect that you're going to get your body in optimal health. Like you have to have a varied diet. And you also like when you go to the gym, you have to have a varied workout routine or you're just going to plateau. And you're not going to make any progress. Yeah, dude, I completely agree. Um, we've been going for actually a long Yeah, I got to go actually. <laughs> My bad, man. Um, uh, go ahead, do plugs, and we will definitely do this again, dude. This was an awesome conversation. 
yeah no thanks for having me and uh it's all good it got real interesting there so yeah i i appreciate you having me on and uh so yeah uh at biblical anarchy on twitter um and then podcast anywhere you want to watch podcasts whether it's youtube apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, whatever uh daniel three biblical anarchy uh and then if you want to support the show uh patreon.com slash biblical anarchy and that's it thanks for having me on kyle of course. Well, uh, yeah, everyone makes sure you go follow him and check out his show. I thoroughly enjoyed your show and I've listened to quite a few of them. So, um, yeah, just make sure you guys go follow and uh, make sure you like and subscribe my stuff as well. And uh, until next time, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.